Hey, and welcome to the 12 Stone Church Podcast. Thank you so much for taking time to be a part of today's message. We hope it inspires you, encourages you, and deepens your faith in Jesus. Enjoy the message. Praise Jesus. 289 people went public with their faith. Some 174 first-time salvations over the last series. Can we celebrate all that God did last weekend in this season? In fact, can you, can you do this with me? Here across the campuses, will you stand up with me? I, I want to offer a prayer of thanks to God. You see, we pray a lot on the way into a weekend like that. And we oftentimes forget to pause and say, God, you did amazing things. We need to thank you. It's our, it's our response to a move of God. So let's just pray. So God, we say thank you. We give you all glory, all honor, all praise. I pray like David did in Psalm 145. I exalt you, my God, the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. They speak of your glorious splendor and your majesty. They tell of the power of your awesome works. And so God, for all those who said yes to Jesus, who went public, we say thank you for your rescuing hand. That you are not distant or distracted or disinterested. You are engaged and present. And you want people to be rescued from the brokenness and brought to new life in Christ. So God, we give you praise. And then for today, God, I would pray. Thank you, Lord, for being our creator. Thank you for wiring us that, that you tell us in scripture, we are fearfully and wonderfully made that you knit us together in our mother's womb. And God, as we start a new conversation today, Holy Spirit, would you speak? In fact, do this here across the campuses, just between you and your father in heaven, just whisper, will you speak to me today? Will you ask him to talk to you specifically? God, we acknowledge that you created us and you knew us and you wired us and you are intentional. And at the beginning, you created us in perfect relationship with you in a perfect garden. And the Bible ends back in perfect relationship with you in a perfect garden. But the distance from garden to garden is heavy and weighty and complicated and broken. So God, for those who are struggling with the gap from garden to garden, Holy Spirit, would you speak and encourage and correct and, and bring hope? Jesus' name, amen. And before you're seated, give someone a high five and say, praise God. Oh, goodness gracious. How do you come off of a week like last weekend? I don't know, but God is so kind and God is not done. And it equally as powerful as God moved in open baptism last weekend, I believe God wants to move in this next conversation. You see, because we're starting a four week conversation talking about the battle for your mind. And it's, it's got some weight to it, but it's just full of hope. Because God knows how he created us. And, and this series is going to sort of build on top of each other. Like, I don't want to have to reteach week one and week two and week two and week three. And you, you get it. So if you can be here, be here for all four weeks. If you're going to travel or fall break, catch up online because this thing builds on itself. And I want to have the whole conversation, not four independent little snippets or sound bites. 
Because I, I believe that this is, this could be the biggest breakthrough for hundreds, if not thousands of us that you've had in years. Now, I want to say this off the top. I'm not a psychiatrist, a psychologist, a counselor, a therapy, or a mental health expert. If anything, I'm a patient, right? Like, I'm not, that was too loud of a laugh. That stung a little. I'm a patient probably, but yes, more so I'm a pastor. And, and here's what's, what's, what's beautiful. God speaks to this conversation all throughout scripture. And, and I, I can't address every symptom or everything you're experiencing, but I can say, here's the truth of what scripture says is healthy. This is what we're supposed to live like. And I believe that the spirit of God can take that and put it into any circumstance, any weight, any struggle and give us truth and hope from it. So why are we having a conversation about mental or emotional sort of health inside the church? Let me just give you some facts. One in four Americans suffer from some form of mental illness, depression, anxiety, thoughts of self-harm, hopelessness, sadness, brokenness. One in four. 50% of Americans will experience an episode of mental illness in their life. In 2022, we spent $7 billion on antidepressants in this country. The number of antidepressant drugs prescribed over the past six years has increased for, uh, increased by 35% from 61.2 million to 83 million prescriptions in 2021-2022. I'm saying that to say there is an epidemic in our country and God has things to say about this. See, this series comes from a pastor's heart, a parent's heart, and a person who's wrestled with emotional health over my life. And, and for far too long, this has been a conversation full of stigma and shame. Because how can you struggle with stuff and love Jesus? And this series is going to hopefully tear down the walls of stigma and shame and build healthy truth and theology and emotional health and mental health. God wants to speak to this. And I can tell you this. I have never studied or researched or prayed. Like I read books with an S, not one, not book. I read books. And some of you are like, I've not read a book since college. It's hard when you get older. I've listened to podcasts from, from uh, experts in these fields. I've sat down with Christian counselors at our church and helped sort of chew this thing up. And, and here's what I discovered, both scripture and neuroscience. Theology and psychology, modern medicine and the miraculous all point back to, to a conclusion. And here's, here's sort of the whole concept in a statement. Most of life's battles are won or lost in the mind. What happens in here, and not just your brain, by the way, your brain's an organ. Your mind is, is how you think and, and the things that you process. Most of life's battles are won or lost in the mind. Here's how Pastor Craig Groeschel says it. Our lives are always moving in the direction of our strongest thoughts. What we think shapes who we are. And that's all good, but let me tell you how the Bible says it. Proverbs 23, for as he thinks in his heart, so is he. That's, a, that's got some weight to it. As you think, so you are. And here's, here's growing up, I used to think that the conversations about your mind were not a spiritual conversation. Like that's for out there. In here, we talk about like the soft stuff. 
love and grace and hugs and Jesus. And it's great. Mind, that's for out there. But here's what's fascinating. I want to lay out the foundational thought. Jesus in Mark 12 is acknowledging the way that he created us. That's why he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, which is like, stop there, church, heart and soul. That's the God stuff. But then he says, but wait, and with all your mind and with all your strength, Jesus is acknowledging that we are one whole interconnected being. That your mind and your heart and your soul and your spirit and your strength are all wrapped up in sort of one thing. Like the the, the physical, tangible parts of you and the spiritual, intangible parts of you are interconnected. Heart, soul, mind, body, physical, spiritual, emotional, intellectual, relational. All of those things are one thing. Which means that everything affects the other thing. You might have never thought this. Your sleep patterns and your diet affect how you feel, your emotions, your feelings. You see, you can't eat cheeseburgers and stay up all night and be like, I am just such in a bad place right now. Of course you are. They're interconnected. Nate Bargatze has a sketch where he talks about he loves pancakes so much and he eats them in the morning. And then he's like, they, they, they affect me so bad. They make me so tired. And then his wife's like, stop eating a loaf of bread with syrup. And he's like, no, let's try a new pillow. Like, that's what I need. It's all interconnected. Listen, which means like the spiritual stuff, an unrepentant, repeated sin can affect like your digestive health. The weight of of guilt or shame, like, you know that feeling where you're like, oh, it's all interconnected, which means your emotions and your feeling can affect your prayer life because it's how you feel about God. All this stuff is interconnected, and when you mess with one, it affects the other, and oftentimes what we do is say, I want my emotions to feel better, and you never look at the physical or the spiritual or vice versa in any of them. God created you one whole being, and God doesn't compartmentalize you into spiritual, emotional, or physical. It's all one. And we have to understand that because if we're going to remove the stigma attached to this conversation, we have to understand that emotional and mental health is a discipleship conversation. You can't grow up in your faith and your spiritual walk and stay immature in your mental or your emotional or your physical. It's all interconnected. And we have to talk about this because this is a huge part of who you are and what Jesus wants to redeem and make whole in you. And as you start to read scripture through this filter, it's amazing how much of God's word speaks to the battle in your mind. And, and for me, the core passage is in 2 Corinthians 10. And I want to unpack this because until we understand this, we can't even start the conversation, the battle that rages up here. So 2 Corinthians 10, it starts this way. For though we live in the world, the tangible place we live right now, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Now, Apostle Paul's coming in hot. That's a lot. Let me start. There is a war for your mind. There's a battle happening. And we all live in the same sort of 
place on the map. We live in the world, but we don't wage war like the world around us does. We don't approach these conversations the same way as someone who doesn't follow Jesus. Like if Jesus died and the tomb is empty and God is on the throne and he's unshaken and there's an eternity, we don't approach these conversations ignorant of that. And then he talks about that we have weapons to fight with in this war and they have divine power. Pause. The Greek word there he uses is dunamis. And that word dunamis is where we get the word dynamite from. Like we have a an explosive, miraculous power of God that we fight this with. And then the word stronghold is a word, it's actually a military word in Greek that, that talks about a fortress that was usually built in the middle of a city. Sometimes the walls were 20 feet deep. So when the enemy attacked, you could put people inside of it and protect them. Or equally, you'd put war prisoners in there to keep them prisoners so they couldn't be released on the attack. And so when he talks about strongholds, he's talking about the fact that he wants to establish bases in your brain, in your mind, that are strongholds, not easily torn down. And in this war, we have an enemy. And what Satan wants to do is to attack your mind. Because if he can get to your mind, he can get to the rest of you. What does an enemy do? Look for the weak spot. They don't attack the strong places. They attack the weak ones. He continues. Verse 5. We demolish arguments and every pretense that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. Satan attacks your mind to create strongholds. And he uses lies. Because if you'll believe something that's not true... It'll take you away from your freedom and calling that God has for you. And the devil tries to shape your thinking one lie at a time. Let me make it real practical. Like he wants you to believe lies like this. You can't trust people. You've been hurt too much. You can't trust them. You'll never succeed. You're always going to be broken. You're never going to have a good marriage. You're never going to be a good mom or dad. You're not enough for your kids. God doesn't hear your prayers. You're talking to the ceiling. God doesn't actually care about you. You're never going to make a difference. You're never going to amount to anything. You're always going to feel this way. And what happens is if you start to believe lies like that, and you could make a list a hundred long, by the way. But if you start to believe lies like this, he can get to every other part of your life and it affects all of your life because what comes into your mind comes out in your life. And, and, and both science and scripture agree that our strongest thoughts shape our entire lives. And, and a lot of the problems we experience stem from the thought life that we, we have, relational challenges interpersonally. Emotional struggles, eating disorders, addictions, some forms of anxiety or depression are actually a direct result of toxic thinking. And this passage finishes, don't put it up yet. And you think, so how do we fight this battle? And growing up in church, I would have given you a hundred answers. Pray more, sing more, love more. And here's... How 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, and we take captive every thought 
to make it obedient to Christ. Isn't that fascinating? Saying the way that you, you fight this battle is you take captive the thought. Because the thoughts, the strongest thoughts that you have set a trajectory for your life. Here's how John Mark Comer says it. Our fight with the devil is first and foremost a fight to take back control of our minds from their captivity, to lies and liberate them with the weapon of truth. So over this four-week conversation, we're going to each week deliver, here's a lie that you might believe. Here's a truth of God. And then here's a new practice that you can begin. And, and, and the, the beauty of, of this series is that if we would believe the truth, it could free our minds and change our lives. And equally, man, if you're building your life on lies, the trajectory you're going to be on, like, like if your life goes in the direction of your strongest thoughts, are you excited about the direction your thoughts are taking you? That's a weighty question. And we all have lies that we believe. And, and listen, whether you came here today and this conversation is like a one out of 10 and you're like, I'm good. Or whether you came today and the thoughts that you had this week, if we saw them or heard them publicly, you're a 10 out of 10. Whether, wherever you're at, there's a battle you find yourself in. And I want you to know, it's, listen, it's okay not to be okay. But it's not okay to stay that way. Because God has more for you. He loves you. You don't have to show up here and pretend to be okay if you're not. Equally, we love you too much to let you stay that way. And God loves you too much to let you stay that way. God wants to heal and restore the broken parts of us. And I am, I am not without my battles. See, I have seasons where I deeply struggled and deeply battled. If you've been around, you've heard some of the story where 15 or so years ago, my parents were in a car accident. Long story short, uh, I lost my mom several years after the accident, after a long battle. It was just heartbreaking. And I sat in a season of hopelessness. Here's a problem with hopeless. It's like a thread that you pull and it just keeps pulling like I lost my mom and it was like, I'm hopeless. I'll never have another mom. And then it was like, Amber and I got pregnant and we were like, I'm going to call my mom. Oh, that phone call will never happen again. It's Christmas morning and you're like, I want my, oh. Hey, it's, it's family vacation. We're all going, oh, she won't, she won't be there. And it's like, I couldn't see light at the end of the tunnel. Hopeless is dangerous. Like hopeless means without hope. And the lie that I began to believe, and here's the lie of hopelessness, my life will never get better. Like this is the new normal. I'll have to just at best go through life and be numb and survive another day. It's all meaningless. I'm helpless, hopeless, worthless, and life is, is pointless. 
And I started to sit and believe the lie. Like I couldn't imagine how my life would ever get better. So I, I, I had a stronghold and a lie sitting in my mind that I believed my life would never get better. And what comes into my mind comes out in my life and it affected my relationships. I was disinterested. Like why pour into my kids? It's all hopeless anyway. Who cares? Like, like it affected my health. I slept bad. I ate junk to give me comfort. It's like, who cares if I eat good or not? It's all hopeless. Like it, it, it affected my, my soul. I avoided God like the plague because I felt like he didn't love me or care about me. And he left me here to just live and die. And it's over. It, it, it affected my emotions. I'm normally a joyful, optimistic person. And suddenly I was like a fatalistic person. At best, I was numb. At worst, I was depressed, broken, sad, and hopeless. And I tried to smile my way and will my way through it. But in that season, God led me to a verse I'd read a hundred times, and I'd never read it through the lens of mental and emotional health before. And Paul says in Romans 12, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And here's, here's what I sat inside of. Do not be conformed to the patterns of this world. How does the world deal with things like this? And I looked at my life and I realized I was approaching this in a very unhealthy way. And here's ways that we sit when, when you're sitting in seasons and battles and, and emotional difficulty, emotional unhealth, ways that we do this. Like for me, like I, I, I detached from it. Like I just said, I, I don't like how I'm feeling. I don't like what I'm going through. So let me ignore it and put it on the shelf and just try to avoid situations that would remind me of it and just disconnect myself so I don't trigger these feelings of hopelessness and sadness again. Just, just detach from it. Isolate it stuff it and separate it from, from all myself and I can manage it that way. Or maybe like me, you, you might be in a season where you decide to fake it. Ever heard the statement, fake it till you make it? That might work on your first job. It doesn't work with your emotions and your mental and dumb work. We've all heard that line, but unfortunately I find this in the church. We've bought into this, this thought of like Instagram psychology that if everything looks and appears good on the outside, sooner or later, it'll catch up on the inside. Like if I'll just smile enough and act it out right, eventually it'll catch up and I'll be good. And so you just keep faking it and faking it. And we don't do it because you're trying to be a phony. It's because there's shame associated with not having it together. Maybe you, you, you go down this path, and I, I did this for, for seasons, where you just distract yourself. You look to numb it, and the ways that we do that, it's different for all of us, but it's, maybe it's alcohol or pills or sex or porn or binging on Netflix every night just to get our minds off of how we feel. We try to make more money, buy more stuff, make ourselves more desirable, get more education, immerse ourselves fully in our hobby or our thing, and we tirelessly work on the outward appearance to make it look good by all the while wasting away on the inside. For me, I threw myself into my work. Because it distracted me for just a minute. 
And truthfully, the narrative of our culture and how it paints, how you deal with this kind of stuff, it's so hopeless. If the best I got is to just sort of distance myself from it or fake it or distract yourself, and that's the rest of my life, it truly is hopeless. And that's where I found myself. And then God brought me to a truth from Romans 12. And here's the truth of hope. God can transform my life by renewing my mind. It ends, do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And and the Greek word for, for, for that is like the word we have for metamorphosis, that it's a change from the inside out. That it's not fake it till you make it, smile until you feel it inside. It's a Holy Spirit change from the inside out. And, and church, most of us are really in tune with how we feel, but oftentimes we're oblivious to how we think. And the fact that Paul said that the way that God transforms you is by renewing your mind is fascinating. That if he would renew the way you think, he would transform the rest of your life. And here's what I discovered in that season. We don't get to choose how we feel. But we do get to choose how we think. And how you think will change how you feel. And listen, this is not some Dr. Phil jargon where it's like, let's just think better and name it and claim it. If you think good, life's going to be good. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying there's a power of God. It's like dynamite that can tear down the lies of the evil one and change how you think and renew your mind. And it's all over scripture. Paul talks about have the mind of Christ. Like he talks, when you see it and you read through scripture, it's all over the place. And it's not just scripture, it's science. I love when science catches up to scripture, don't you? Here's what's, there's a, there's a, a new, like a new, lane of study for the brain that's called neuroplasticity. And I only say the words so you think I'm smarter than I am. Neuroplasticity, neuro meaning brain, plasticity meaning the ability to change. And, and, and science is confirming Romans 12 too. Here's what it means. It means that over time, your mind can literally rewire itself. Bad news, it can rewire itself for the better or the worse. Good news, it can rewire itself for the good. But over time, if, if, if you continue to think a thought, the more frequently you think it, your, your brain literally rewires itself to make a deeper connection back to that thought again, which makes it easier to get to that thought over and over again. It's kind of like this. When I was in college, they built a new section of, of campus and the architect and the designer tried to be real fancy. And so it was like this big quad with buildings all around it. And like classes would be across the quad. And they made these sidewalks that were like big sweeping semicircles that like from a helicopter, it was beautiful. The problem was the campus is full of 18 to 22 year olds who don't give a rip. We're just late for class. So we would walk straight across the quad. The sidewalks were virtually untouched. And what happened over time is we wore a path in the grass because so many people just walked straight to our destination. You know what they did over the summer? Ripped the sidewalks out and put them right where we walked. <laughs> and that's sort of what your brain does, by the way. Your brain begins to wear a path 
Over time, the things that you think start to wear a path in your brain, and your brain literally creates a neuro, neuro pathway to that thought so that you can get to that thought more quickly. And for me, the lie of hopelessness begin to form a stronghold in my brain that created a path to despair and hopelessness. And it was so easy. Anything one out of 10 bad happened. It didn't feel like a one out of 10 because my brain was rewired to go. It's awful and hopeless and terrible. It's like, Jason, your favorite show is a rerun. It's not that big a deal. And I was like, it's terrible because my brain had rewired itself. And what God wants to do is to renew your brain, your mind, your thoughts. And what the reason Satan attacks your mind is because he knows how God created you. Listen, this is not some new science jargon. It's understanding how God made you what God wants for you, and what God could do in your life. And again, at risk at oversimplifying, you might be experiencing the results of bad thinking. And you think the way back is just to smile more, bury it, or avoid it, or hide it, Find the next thing of pleasure to give me an up. God goes, I don't want to fake it and feed it over here and mess with it. I want to renew you from the inside out. Like what he does for your soul for all of eternity, he wants to do for your mind, your heart, your emotions. But you can't, you can't be renewed while believing lies. See, there's a battle in our mind, and most of life's battles are won or lost in the mind. And you might have never read this passage before through the filter of mental and emotional health. But Philippians 4, I want you to, all that we've taught, all that we've said, I want you to now think about how God wired you, neuroplasticity, how Satan attacks, what lies do, the pathways, and now read with with profound understanding, Philippians 4, 4 to 9. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, do something with it, and the God of peace will be with you. This is a profound passage because it lays out the connection that if you will think about these things, put them into practice, the God of peace will meet you there. And if that's true, then the opposite's also true. That if you think about things that are impure, unholy, and untrue, God doesn't meet you in the lies. He speaks to you from the truth. And during this season, I put into practice something that admittedly feels oversimplistic. But it was transformational for me, my mind, 
which eventually leaked into my relationships and my emotions and my mental and emotional health, I began to practice gratitude. And please don't hear this oversimplified like, you're a 10 out of 10 on anxiety and depression. Just be grateful and you'll be fine. I'm not saying that. But I am saying the things you think about create pathways and the thoughts that you don't take captive have consequences. So for me, I, I had to use gratitude to break, to break the cycle of lies. And for me, I had to write them down. And at the start of this journey out of hopeless, <laughs> my gratitude journal, however you want to call it, was pretty basic. Thanks for air. See you tomorrow, God. <laughs> Thanks for water. Thanks that I'm not starving. And I progressed in this discipline of practicing gratitude. And I'm telling you, it, it's like I could feel it rewiring my brain. Like It's like if you weighed 700 pounds and said, I want to run a marathon. You don't get there in a day. And the first day, you walk 10 feet, and you're like, I did nothing. The end of the first year, you jogged your first mile. You're still so far away. Then you run 10 miles. And years from now, you can do it. Your brain does the same thing. My gratitude started like this, but it grew as God renewed my mind and my thinking, which affected my emotions and my mental and emotional health. And eventually, it was getting into things like, God, thank you that I have a wife that loves me. Thank you that I have a wife that stuck with me in this season where I was not easy to be married to. God, thank you for healthy kids. God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for hope. Thank you. And I'm like, wait a second. Thank you for hope. See, God can renew your mind. And listen, maybe this week, see, every week, truth, lie, practice, maybe you'll start to practice gratitude. Because what you focus your mind and your thoughts on, you'll see more of. That's why when you get a new car, you see it everywhere. How are there so many Hyundai Sonatas? They, they must have just had a sale. They've always been there. You just never focused on it. Listen, how is there so much to be grateful for? It's always been there. You never focused on it. Your brain was wired to hopeless and ungratitude, and God wants to rewire it. But there's more than just a practice. There's spiritual power. See, there's... The, the gap between hope and hopeless is so small. It just doesn't feel like it. Let me illustrate. Hope doesn't require your circumstances to change in order for you to change. Hope is simply the faith and belief that if Jesus is who he said he is, things can get better. Here's the picture I have. You are stuck in the middle of the ocean on a raft with no motor, no water, no food, and no land in sight. Hopeless. And can I tell you how quick hopeless can go to hope? You're still in the raft, still no water, still no engine, but you see a lighthouse. Hope. Why? Nothing changed. The raft didn't suddenly grow an engine. Amazon didn't bring a helicopter out with water bottles to you, and you're like, I'm good now. No, nothing changed except 
you have hope because that's where rescue is. See, hope is the fuel to give you another day in this. And hope is not getting to shore. Hope is finally spotting the lighthouse miles away and understanding all is not lost. See, the second before you saw the lighthouse, you had nowhere to row, nowhere to go, no hope for tomorrow. The second you see the light, that's the beauty of hope. And for some of you, the most powerful thing you'll leave today with is, I saw the lighthouse, there is hope. And you were walking towards hopeless. And the Spirit of God just goes, there's the lighthouse. You're still in the same spot, but God's like, now there's a path forward. I can transform you by renewing your mind. That's why Scripture calls Jesus the living hope all throughout Scripture. Because the fact that he rose from the dead, there's an empty tomb. We have hope, not just for eternity, but for here and now. And that's not just like a Jesus Jew pastor thing you're supposed to say. There is hope because it's going to be good in the end. And if it's not good, it's not the, the end. And I sat inside of a really complicated, weighty, hopeless season. And over the course of months, God began to rewire things in me. And can I tell you what was a massive breakthrough? It's when I finally opened my mouth and told people that I trust and love, I'm not doing good, man. I stand up on stages every week and proclaim the goodness of God and privately want to curse his name. And I'm too good at faking it for anyone to realize how bad it really is. And they didn't have some massive miraculous advice you know what they did? They prayed with me and they believed with me and they checked in on me and they reminded me that, listen, if Jesus rose from the dead and scripture says the same power that raised Jesus back to life, we have access to, it brings us back to how we fight these battles in our minds. Second Corinthians 10, that we live in the world. We don't wage war like it does. God's given us weapons to fight with, not of this world. They have a divine power to demolish strongholds. And listen, we're going to do that today. And here in a minute, we're going to give some space and we're going to worship together. We're going to receive the offering. And then we're going to invite you into a moment where across our campuses, our prayer teams are going to come down front. And I don't know where you are. One out of 10, 10 out of, I don't know what you're dealing with, but what if... What if in this moment God could heal you? He could. He might. And for some, you might leave going, God changed the stuff, the hopeless. For others, equally profound that if God could just go, can I give you the lighthouse? Can I tear down the lie that your life will never be better again? Your life will never be okay again? Like what if he would just change the trajectory from hopeless to hopeful? could change everything. So we're going to invite you here just in a few minutes. You're going to be able to come down and be prayed for. See, the battle in your mind is profound because no one knows it if you don't speak it. But God knows it even if you don't speak it. We prayed this week, Holy Spirit, would you meet people where they are? God, would you renew our minds with truth? Would you demolish strongholds with your power? And would you transform our lives by your spirit?
So as the bands load across the campuses, we're going to worship, which is reminding ourselves of truth. We're going to receive the offering, which by the way, is from a heart of gratitude. It's part of the practices and the discipline of what it means to stay. God, I'm so thankful for how you provided for me. So worship on that. And then in just a minute, the pastors are going to stand up and invite you to be prayed for. And can I just, don't be too proud to ask for help. Men, don't be too proud. And there is no stigma here for the struggle. It's okay not to be okay. It's not okay to stay that way. So across the campuses, would you worship well, ushers? Let's receive the offering, and then we're going to pray over you. Thank you again for spending time with us today. A special thanks to those of you who generously give through 12 Stone. It is because of you that this ministry is possible. And if you want to learn more about 12 Stone, make sure you follow us on social at 12 Stone Church and check out a location or a watch party near you. And if you enjoyed the podcast, you could subscribe, share it with your friends, hit the share button, or even take a screenshot and throw it in your social stories. And make sure to tag 12 Stone Church. Let it be a blessing to somebody else. Thank you again, and we'll catch you on the next one.